Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Violent Night, Bones and All, and Avatar The Way of Water. I'm your host, Bill George. With me as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Hello, fellas. Merry Christmas, Bill. This is a, a, a Christmas edition, isn't it? It's a Christmas edition. So two things. Mer- uh, Merry Christmas to both of you. And uh, as well. a happy early birthday to our little Christmas baby, uh, William. Oh, hi. Uh, William George II. So happy birthday, buddy. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. What was it like growing up having a birthday, basically abutting with the biggest holiday in the Anglo-Saxon world? Splitting time with Jesus Christ himself. You know, it was interesting. I I don't really have much frame of reference. I've only had the one birthday, but it is basically Christmas Eve. We would do our Christmas celebrations. Then we would pause everything, do a birthday cake, and then go right back to the Christmas celebration. So the birthday really only lasted about 30 seconds. Wow. And the presents were sometimes combined, but I didn't mind that so much because they were generally better presents. And then the rest of the year, the other 364 days, you're just in the fucking desert, huh? Oh, yeah, 100%. One year when I was a kid, we tried to decide whether I wanted to do like my move my birthday to my half birthday and do a pool party in July. So we did it one year, but it didn't it didn't feel right. It was it was not the same. It's not the same because it's just a it's a it's a cop out. It's just a it wasn't right. It wasn't right. So Christmas Eve it is. Well, happy birthday. A few follow ups. There's a lot we're going to get in today. A few follow ups that we just need to uh, show notes, if you will, little addendums. Uh, I'm going to issue an apology to Ryan Davis, a uh, longtime listener of the show. I misspoke last episode when I said he busts your balls constantly about saying that, like, you say that every movie is the best movie ever. In reality, Davis was saying that a lot of the time you go over the top explaining that movies are are great and you have a lot of great movies in your in your realm in your world uh which sometimes dilutes the message when a lot of movies are are there great movies i think he thinks that i say that some a lot of movies are the best movie of the year yes and and the point is you know i see a lot of movies every year and a lot of them are going to be great and i tell them at the time they're one of the best movies of the year and then we make a list at the end and we sort it out but i mean it's not like a cry wolf situation i'm just saying i think think he you know, you know, you're passionate about movies, and I just want to issue a correction uh, for Davis. So, sorry, Ryan. I also, I also have a follow up. I want to recognize Eric. Are we doing last names? Are we doxing people? I don't know if I should give the full name or not. But uh, <laughs> Eric Schoenberger, he was the one who actually sent us the story about Kaleidoscope, the Netflix special we talked about last episode. I had only known about that because he had sent it to me via Instagram. So I should have given him credit for that story. So thank you, Eric, and if anybody else. Has any other stories that you think would be of interest for us to discuss? Feel free to send them along in the Instagram. One last call out for uh, NEO last name redacted uh, for being the angriest viewer and listener that we have out there. Uh, we do this for people like him and he constantly sends not messages of encouragement, but borderline hate mail to us. But it actually <laughs> keeps that. him coming back uh, week after week. So uh, appreciate your support, NEO, and all the hateful comments you send every other week. Bill, before we get into the news, anything you watched uh, last week uh, that you want to talk about? Yeah, two quick ones. I saw Triangle of Sadness, uh, which is a Golden Globe nominee for Best Comedy. I did not care for it. Gave it a no. But if you see it floating around on, you know, 
streaming services, etc. It's like two and a half hours long. It is a eat the rich satire, which I'm kind of sick of. It is objectively well made. It's a good looking movie, well acted movie, but it's just it didn't really vibe with me. I just didn't didn't dig it, and it was very slow paced. So Triangle Sadness, it's it gets a lot of critical acclaim, but I don't know that the average person would be particularly interested in it. So I would say pass. <clears throat> and then I saw the menu for a second time. And this was an interesting experience. There's a slight story behind it. I get to the theater, and I am the only one in the theater at the time. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, my new favorite movie. I'm going to be able to see it for a second time and take it all in by myself, my own little world. Belt comes undone, pants unzipped. <laughs> Zip. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I got, like, popcorn and soda, and I put the, the M&Ms in the popcorn. Like, I was, like, in it to win it, right? And then... The previews start, and it gives you, like, the AMC, like, warning thing. And I go to take a bite of the popcorn, and I fucking inhale it, and I almost start to choke. And I'm like, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. This is this is going to be... I'm never even going to get to experience it. <laughs> Can you imagine? Luckily, I was able to clear my, clear my esophagus and live to see the movie. And then a couple came in, like, mid-trailers, so I wasn't completely alone. And then I got up and I realized that some of the M&Ms had fallen between my legs and my entire pants were covered in fucking chocolate. The the warm chocolate mess down there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it looked like I sat in shit. So anyway, seeing it a second time, though, was delightful. And I enjoyed it just as much, if not more. As your financial advisor and long-term just life advisor, am I in, like, have we solidified me being in the will yet for instances just like that that's a good point because they wouldn't find me if no if that couple didn't come in nobody would have found me for two hours there i mean if, if someone knows how to do sos and then it calls me because i'm your sos contact right, I mean, right. then we'd be in a good place but yeah i mean i would be devastated to learn that you died uh solo alone in a movie theater by choking on m&ms and popcorn what would you do if you worked at the amc and you had to clean up the theater and you just walked in on a naked bill george who had <laughs> asphyxiated to death on a piece of popcorn well look With just and they're like oh he shit himself <laughs> he just shit himself but no one realized that it's, it's melted m&ms they're just like he's a kid that shit himself and choked to death in in bill's with bill's last breath he scribbles a note explaining that he didn't shit himself it's just m&ms and then <laughs> <laughs> well, the obituary could at least say he died as he lived. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're all right. Thank you. Thank you. So how does it hold up? Is it still the best movie of the year in your entire oh, life? Oh, big time, big time, big time. And there were a certain dialogue and writing at the beginning of the movie that once you know where it goes, like hits even harder, like shows you again the care that went into the screenplay. So yeah, I was beside myself. I loved it. Love that. Show notes say that Craig angry. Yeah, I got a bone to pick with you, Rebecca. Me? Yeah, you. Why? I, I don't watch anything and have no hot takes. Well, I know it's been a while since our last episode, but a little film by the name of The Christmas Train oh. came highly oh, recommended <laughs> from your side of things here. And you know, silly me, I'm like, AJ's a cool guy. He's got good opinions. I'm going to throw this movie on with my fiance and her parents who are in town for the weekend. We're going to watch The Christmas Train. And boy... That was basically the worst hour and 45 minutes of my entire life. I just can't, I don't, I can't say enough bad things about this movie. I'm watch. I'm on the IMDb page right now and there's like showing little clips of it and I'm like getting like viscerally angry. However, okay. I'm not going to say too much about this because we got a lot to cover today. I just want to 
number one, register my complaint that that was a horrible recommendation and I demand an apology. Well, you Venmoed me, you Venmo request me $9.99 for a fucking refund, you piece of shit. <laughs> oh, that was the other thing. I, I had to, yeah, that was the other thing. I had to buy it on iTunes because, like, no one's, like, it's not anywhere. <laughs> and so, I, yes, I did Venmo request AJ $9.99. The second thing I will say is the, the twist at the end, which gets about 90 seconds of screen time, <laughs> is the most diabolical Truman Show question your entire life insanity that literally left me <laughs> rattled for a couple days. So, you know, I guess that's my hot take on this movie is avoided at all costs. But if you want to just fucking punish yourself around Christmas time and then get your brain splattered like your fucking brain on drugs. I'm telling you that hour and 27 minutes of shit is worth the three minute thing at the end. That's a tough ratio. I mean, they spend so little time on it. It's shocking. And it's like the whole thing is like this like... <laughs> Saw style, like jigsaw, yeah. like manipulation of it's fuck. Those three minutes of just mind bendingly weird Truman show bullshit is is a hundred percent worth it. It's also like clear Amtrak propaganda. Like the the amount of times that they talk oh. about the train, they, like and they show clips of like people wearing like Amtrak like things. It's it's the movie is about Christmas trains. It's about trains. It's a movie about trains. That takes place in Christmas. We should be having a debate about whether the Christmas train is a Christmas movie or a train movie. That's all. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining this edition of Train Talk. (laughs) Before we hop into a very special in the news segment, Bill, the only thing that I've really been watching last the last few weeks in between repairing my home that got hit by a tree is the Santa Clauses on Disney Plus, the Tim Allen reboot miniseries. Oh, yeah. You were very excited about that. Just two things I want to touch on. From a production value standpoint, it's beautiful. It looks like Hawkeye, all of the other Marvel shows on Disney+. Plus. Two, the the main issue that I have with the movie, I love seeing uh, Tim Allen back as Scott Calvin, and I love that. The writing, though, is what troubles me about a lot of shows nowadays. It writes to the time frame that you're in right now in terms of like, a lot of pop culture, pop culture artifacts. I don't know how to explain this, like words like bussin' and like, like no cap, like pop culture artifacts. And instead of writing just like funny, normal, like good TV, they have to write to like the youth of today, Weird. which dates yeah. it horribly. And B, as someone who's in their mid thirties, like I don't relate to that. I relate to the show. Of the movies that became, you know, institutions in my life that this show, you know, continues on. And that's that's the real problem with it. There are moments in the show that are hilariously funny, but those moments of just pop culture infusion just it it just doesn't sit well with me. Um but I'm gonna finish watching it. But just wanted to say that before we go on to uh the news section. All right. So it's the most wonderful time of the year. Mm-hmm. We all love Christmas. We love talking about Christmas, and we love talking about Christmas movies. So, Club recently released their definitive list of the best Christmas movies of all time, and It's a Wonderful Life takes the top spot. Two movies, actually three movies, that did not make the list were Jim Carrey's The Grinch, uh, Tim Burton's Batman Returns, and Die Hard. 
Bill, what do you make of AV Club's definitive list? And what do you think of those three snubs that I just listed? The list is fine. The list is adequate. I would say those snubs are not snubs at all for multiple reasons. I will start with the Grinch. Uh, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I've said it on this podcast. Jim Carrey's The Grinch is the cinematic equivalent of a war crime. (laughs) It is the single worst movie I've probably ever seen in my entire life. So that not being on the list makes perfect sense. It's trash. I'm with you, 100%. As far as the Die Hard and and Batman, all of a sudden we're we're adding to this list. Neither of those are Christmas movies, so they don't deserve to be on the list to begin with. So I don't consider them snubs. I'm going to give you the floor first in explaining why Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie. You want me to go first? I would love for you to go first because I have one counter argument that will crumble your fucking stupid narrative that you have about this. So go. I'm going to give you the mic first. Great. I mean, strap in because I got multiple points on this front that I'd like to share. And we're going to go from the most basic to the most complex, but I have at least five to six points that all argue Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Okay. And let me first say how much I hate this take because (laughs) it's, it's just one of those things. It feels... It feels almost like the jack on the door in Titanic take. Like, you just hear it constantly. It's, I'm so sick of it. Anyway, let's start with this. It was a summer blockbuster when it was released. It came out in July 20th of 1988. I don't know about you, but not a lot of Christmas movies coming out in the heat of July very often. Uh, You would think the studios would put it at Christmas time if it's a Christmas movie. Have you never heard the term Christmas in July from the guy who has a Christmas birthday that threw a half half year birthday it's a summer blockbuster because it came out in july that's one okay well i just it makes no commentary about christmas and explores no themes related to the nature of the holiday itself that's two if you change the setting to another holiday the script still exists as it stands versus a true christmas movie that does not exist except for the holiday if nakatomi plaza was shut down for fourth of july you could still make that movie exactly how it's made Craig, I, got, I gotta fucking interject, man. I gotta interject because that's the only way that we have a, a, a dynamic conversation because now I have to take fucking notes on the side of all the reasons why this is stupid and then I have to go back and re-argue those points later. AJ, you will respect the rules of our made-up debate. I'm like sweating. I'm so mad right now. Okay, go. The And this becomes my main point that I'd like to make here. Which is, you've never met anyone in your life who grew up watching Die Hard on Christmas Eve as a family. And you know why? Because the first time that anyone ever considered or wrote or searched Die Hard as a Christmas movie was a Slate article from 2007. That means for the first 20 years of its existence, Die Hard was never a Christmas movie, never considered a Christmas movie. Nobody thought of it as a Christmas movie. Someone writes an article in 2007. It goes viral. He talks about why not? Die Hard as a Christmas movie. And now, all of a sudden, that is the hot take that everyone wants to be smug and snarky and be smarter than everybody in the room and bring it up when there's a conversation around Christmas movies. And if you remove the layer of irony that we all live in today, there is no one who could watch that movie and walk away with it and say, that's a Christmas movie. Like, it's just not going to happen. This is a fabrication of our time that this movie just decided out of the fucking blue 20 years later to become a Christmas movie. It's absurd on its face. AJ, your rebuttal. Bill, I got a question for you. Do you consider Home Alone a Christmas movie? Yes. If Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, then Home Alone is just another movie about home invasion. Disagree. How do you disagree? 
Because, because home alone. No, 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 no. Because based on your based on your fucking argument, if the McAllisters went away for fucking Fourth of July or Flag Day or Labor Day or Memorial Day, it would be the same fucking argument. I, ref- I refer you back to my second point. Which is that Die Hard makes no commentary about Christmas or explores the themes of, and nature of the holiday itself. Home Alone fundamentally is about Christmas miracles. It's about family coming together. It is about... Uh, Christmas miracles? It's a miracle that neither of those two guys died from the damage that he caused them. The family getting home in time to spend Christmas with Kevin is a Christmas miracle. And it speaks to the values of family and the values of Christmas. That is the warm feeling you walk away with. We're talking about a fucking, we're talking about a, a hardened New York cop on the verge of divorce flying seven hours across country to be with his two young kids on Christmas morning. And you're saying it's on a fucking Christmas movie? <laughs> correct. That's correct. <laughs> Tell me another family parent situation that says, you know what? I'm going to fly seven hours for a flag day parade to see my kids. Nope, because they'd only do it on Thanksgiving and fucking Christmas. We're not talking about Home Alone. We're talking about Die Hard. I, I just said Die Hard. I'm, I'm going back to one of your 17 fucking points you made about if, if, if the holiday was a different holiday, everything would remain. And that's bullshit because no one would do that for another holiday. The reason he's going to Nakatomi Plaza. Sure he would. He could go there to be with them for Easter. He'd go to be with them for for, for Zion. It doesn't matter. That's the the point. Christmas acts as a venue in which they can shut down the plazas and for him to come home and see him. But it doesn't speak to Christmas itself or the values of Christmas or the nature of Christmas at all. Yeah, it's it's a Christmas miracle that he killed like 35 German Spetsnaz fucking terrorists. No, no, that's not addressed. In, that is not addressed in the text of the film. You're adding that. That's not addressed in the text of the film. All right, we disagree on this point. Next, what's your next bullet point there? Oh, I, I made all, I feel like I, if, if we are saying, if I pulled the audience, which I feel like we should do, Bill, on Friday or Saturday night, pull the audience. Oh, we should absolutely do that. After they've listened to this debate, and, and let us know what you think, because I, I get what you're saying, but I just turned your points around, and I, I feel like I made a good counter-argument that you're full of shit. And the same thing with Batman Returns. How is Batman Returns not a amazing Christmas movie? For literally all the same reasons I just said, that Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. It's an action movie that is set during Christmas time. <laughs> but in no means would anybody put the first tag, if you're picking the genre for these films, the first tag ain't going to be... Holiday movie. It's going to be action movie. Just because it's set during Christmas, like, I don't know what to tell you. It ain't in the same vein as It's a Wonderful Life or anything that we would actually consider by default a Christmas movie. It's not. I feel like you're losing people on the Batman Returns thing a little bit. Yeah, Batman Returns was such a stretch. Like, people make the Die Hard argument. I, I understand that people make it. I, Batman Returns, like, left field. Are we done here? Hey, I'm not your debate team coach. I'm just, I'm just calling him like I see him. Stick to the diehard one at least. All right, shall we, shall we move on? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm upset. <clears throat> yeah, I need to like take a walk. We should. We're, pu- we're putting that poll up. Though. All right, okay. All right, we'll poll. Results of the poll next episode. Let's make a bet. Let's make a bet because I'm a betting man. And um, what, what, what should be the bet if you, your diehard take wins versus my diehard take winning? I feel like our poll is compromised because there's going to be more people that vote yes just to fuck with Bill. 
that, then there are going to be people who vote no to fuck with you. You think so? I I don't I don't know. No, I feel like I'm more easily triggered than Bill is. Oh, 100%. Well, you've demonstrated that. <laughs> so that part is clear, I think. Yeah. I think everyone's going to vote yes because this was this was born of the internet and the internet people love to be snarky and 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 contrarian counterculture and they're going to and they're going to do yes. I'm not being snarky. I feel like I feel like my my argument was very logical in the explanation. All right, we'll see. We'll see. All right. All right. Let's keep it going. We can roll this right into uh, our first movie. This week, we're going to be talking about three movies. The first is a Christmas movie. Uh, it is called Violent Night. And according to IMDb.com, when a group of mercenaries attack the estate of a wealthy family, Santa Claus must step in to save the day and Christmas. Bill? Should I go see it? I gave this film a soft, yeah. It is a Christmas movie that is also an action movie, as opposed to Die Hard. Okay. This movie is interesting because David Arbor is the lead. He plays Chris Kringle, St. Nick, Santa Claus. Goes by many names. Papa Gigio. Yep. And he is delightful. He is amazing. When he is in the scene... Whatever scene it is, that that is when the movie knows what it is, which is like an over-the-top, goofy, like meme of a movie, and he plays it beautifully. Any scene without him in it is terrible, slows everything down, and is poorly written and acted. <laughs> so it's tricky. I, I ended up giving it a soft yes because there are more scenes with David Arbor than there are not, and he, again, is fantastic. But the tone is just not very consistent throughout. I wish they leaned more into the campiness, like even more. So that was a knock I had on it. But the action's good. It's very John Wick inspired. It's very graphic. They do a lot of digital blood and gore, uh, but that overall it works. There's also a hyper violent Home Alone esque sequence that I think you would you would very much enjoy. And so the second half, it really kicks into gear and gets into the the real action of it. And so that made it worth it as long as you can kind of just have some fun and go along for the ride. Uh, how was John Leguizamo in the film as the villain? He was pretty good. I mean, he was hamming it up, trying to be a good villain. But the, again, the script did not do him any favors, and neither did the cast around him during his scenes. Because a lot of the opening first half scenes are him and the hostages with no David Arbor involved. And again, those scenes are just, just tough, tough to get through. When you talk about the campiness around Christmas, is it like over-the-top... I mean, I'm, I'm on the IMDb right now, and it seems like all of the names of the people in the film are like some sort of Christmas pun or name. Yeah, those like, are like the code names for the for the Kill Squad. And every once in a while, David Arbor will have like a one-liner that is clearly written like for the trailer. I'm trying to think what they were, but there were just some one-liners that were just like SNL basically could have written this line essentially. Uh, and those I thought were funny. Like the more they like lean into it, and the more it knows what it is, yeah, then, then it's great. But sometimes they go into these scenes with the hostages that just don't, that just feel like they're from another movie. Like what? Like, is he like, oh, like, I like blood in my hot cocoa? Yeah, bitch. something like that. Like, talk about <laughs> Silent Night. I don't know. It's like shit like that. Like, whatever. Okay. Uh, and they're funny. They're funny. I thought they were funny. But I just, I wish they, uh, I wish they tightened the script a little bit and I wish they made the tone a little more consistent. But it's still enjoyable. It, it, I, I had fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm not going rushing out to theaters to watch this. It, the runtime is comes in at just under two hours, which I feel is violently long for this type yeah. of oh, yeah. film. This is a 90 minute. This is 90 minutes worth of material for sure. Okay. Second film 
uh, is called Bones and All, according to IMDb.com. Uh, Marin, a young woman, learns how to survive on the margins of society. Uh, Bill, should I go see it? I gave this a no for the general public. But I will say for me, personally, it's more of a yes. But I can't give it a blanket recommendation. Now, for, for those wondering about the very vague, ambiguous synopsis from imdb.com, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong. The story is about two cannibals crossing America, correct? It is on a literal level about cannibalism, yes. And to that degree, it is intense and often gruesome. Wow. And so if I say yes to have everybody go see it, I could be just setting people up to be scarred for life. And it's also a very slow burn, and there's not a lot in terms of plot. And so when I saw it, one of the other audience members in like a group, when they got up at the end of the credits, someone said out loud to their friends, that was the worst movie I've ever seen. Oh, wow. So clearly, clearly your mileage may vary on the cannibal movie. But what I liked about it was how gorgeously it was shot. Like it was just a very well-made movie. Some interesting edit choices. The opening sequence is masterful, like totally sucks you in and then like hard cut to the title card. So there's a lot of like really technically really well. Performances are great, but it's a like the elevator pitches. It's a complicated love story about two cannibals and it's really more layered than that. So it's very metaphorical. If you enjoy watching movies looking for themes and deeper meaning, like you can get a lot out of it. Like you could write a thesis about this movie because the cannibalism is a great stand in for anything that makes someone feel like an outcast whether it's you know addiction is kind of the first connection you could make but it could be really anything that you could sub in that makes someone feel like an outcast and the movie is written broadly enough that you could kind of put yourself in it so the writing is just very very smart and works regardless but it's just such a niche movie that it's hard to recommend generally how did our boy uh, f- big fan of the podcast timothy chalamet do on uh in this. Uh, he was good, uh, shirtless often. Uh, he definitely slid into the Timothy Chalamet role. Uh, uh, he was, you know, s- scary, skinny. Um, he's good because he is able in this role to show a certain amount of softness when it comes to the relationship, but then also sort of show some in- intensity when he needs to fucking eat somebody. I mean, now that I'm like, the more I'm thinking about it, I'm very intrigued. I, I, I really want to watch it because like now I'm thinking in my head, like, how does two cannibals meet and fall in love? Like, are they, are they finding dead bodies? Are they paying people to give them dead bodies? Are they killing people to then eat them the dead body? And why are they like Jack Kerouacking across Ronald Reagan's America? Like, what's the, what's the backdrop about like this? I mean, know? all I'll say is like, once you eat someone, you got to get out of Dodge. You can't exactly fucking set up shop. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. So in some cases, I feel like these these niche movies are worth recommending to get people out of their comfort zone and try something different and try to like expand people's view of cinema. But in this case, the entertainment value is not quite high enough, I think, to cut that barrier of entry down for people that might be a little put off by the, the content. I would also say, if you are into <laughs> cannibalism... As depicted on film. There are more and more cannibal movies. That's like the trendy thing. If you haven't seen the French film, Raw, that is a a must-see. And we also talked about the movie Fresh on Hulu, which has a cannibal element to it. And that I also recommend. So if you wanted to stretch yourself a little bit and try one of these movies, I would say see Raw or see Fresh before you see this. 
Great. That's been Cannibal Talk. On to the last <laughs> film we'll be talking about Ugh. is a highly anticipated Jimmy Cameron movie, Avatar, The Way of Water. Now, according to IMDb.com, not only does this movie uh, come in at three hours and 12 minutes, it's about Jake Sully, uh, who's living with his newfound family formed on the extrasolar moon of Pandora. Once a familiar threat returns to finish what was previously started, Jake must work with Natiri and the army of the Navi race to protect their home. Bill, I don't want to see this. Should I? Yes. But for very specific <sighs> reasons. <laughs> Let me start with the good. Wait, one one question before you really dive in. Okay. Is there any intermission in, in this at all? Like built-in intermission? No. Yeah, like, okay, like pause. But, but I can give you a I can give you a heads up on when you can leave, because that is a major issue I have with the movie. But we'll we'll get there in a second. Okay. Great, great first act. Loved the setup. Like, loved it. And the end. The last 45 minutes, the finale, thrilling. The issue with this movie is that the second act, the middle hour and a half, is so brutally slow and drags and adds all this unnecessary world building and backstory that I don't need that, honestly, when I immediately walked out of the theater, I was ready to give it a no because I was so put off by the length of the movie with that much time dedicated to something that I felt so trivial. But then i thinking about the purpose of this site and whether it's like a go-to movie and whether it needs to be experienced on screen and the answer is is yes. Like you have to see it on the biggest screen you can find because the visuals are so stunning. Like you don't even realize you're looking at effects after a while. Like your brain knows it's not real because it's all make pretend but it, it might as well be real because it's just like so astonishing and you can't distinguish. Like I don't know what elements were real, what elements were CGI, whether it was all CGI. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't place any of it. And after a half hour, like I couldn't, my brain was like imploding. You're just, you're so immersed in the world. You're like, fuck it. I'm, I'm on the ride. At, at, at that point, like at first I was trying to pick it apart and then eventually I had to give up because I was like, I don't even know. Like I'm just in it at this point. It just feels so real. So from a technical achievement, achievement, it is just stunning. And the action sequences are spectacular. I mean, James Cameron, we obviously know that he knows how to shoot an action scene. And they have those like wide shots with like a deep depth of field and they do the push snap zoom, which like I fucking love. I know it's kind of like a trendy thing that's that's becoming overused, but I freaking love it. And it's not cut to hell in terms of editing. Like it's easy to follow. It's got a vibrant look. And a lot of movies nowadays have that same grimy like look. This has like a vibrant look to it. And there's just a lot going for it when you think about the beginning and end. The issue is that middle piece that is just a slog. I really want to hate this movie, and I haven't seen it. And the tough thing is, is when the first Avatar came out, yeah, it was great. Like, it was that thing. It was the future of film. But the story wasn't that good, right? The writing in it was actually pretty pretty bad. And I, how long, is, how long has it been since the first one came out? 13 years, I think. If you put a gun in my head right now and said, a million bucks, give me like a five minute, too long, didn't read of what happened the first Avatar movie, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. So now I feel forced to watch yep. the first one, which I really didn't like, to make sure that I'm somewhat caught up and like not going in completely blind, which I'm pretty sure I don't have to do, but I want to do, to then spend another three hours. I mean, that's with trailers, 
driving to the theater. That's a four hour time block that I need to basically yeah, you, carve yeah, out of my day. And when you add in watching the first film, you're under close to seven hours. It's a commitment. I you definitely don't need to watch the first one. I reread or I read an article that gave a quick primer. And then the movie begins where the last one takes uh, ends with a little bit of a time jump and they kind of explain a little bit what's going on and I will say if you remember the first movie is based on mining a particular material. This movie kind of moves away from that and it basically just becomes Earth is dying and humans are going to potentially colonize Pandora to take it over as their own planet. They said in the first one well, the premise of the first one was the first one was they need to get a particular material, which was called unobtainium. Unobtainium. So that was the first movie. This movie is like fuck the unobtainium. We're taking over the whole goddamn planet. We got terraforming and all that shit. And so it's like it's it's much more widespread. Hell yeah, brother! Uh, <laughs> the Earth had been overrun with skinny uh, uh, Gen Z cannibals. Uh, <laughs> the thing that you might appreciate about it, though, AJ, is on a technical level not only the effects. But this is also the first major movie that I know of to use a variable frame rate. So the slower scenes are more cinematic at 24 frames a second, and the action scenes have a higher frame rate to ensure smoothness of the action. That makes me rock hard. So that is really interesting, because that's the first time that's been deployed in a major motion picture. So you're saying I got to invest the four hours at some point between now and probably the end of the new year when I got some time on my hands. Just go to the theater, just sit down and just like. Here's what you can do. But there's no thing like, like I'm hoping like so we're going to the three of us are gonna, we're going to talk about in the next segment. We're going to go see Babylon, which is like three hours and 30 minutes. Golden Age of Hollywood. I'm hopeful that there's like probably like a known intermission in the half. That's like, hey, like take a piss, spike a dump like. <laughs> Go eat a hot dog. Well, in this movie, they do a, you know, it's called The Way of Water. So the movie takes place in the ocean. And they have, they introduce that on Pandora, there is a like super evolved, sentient almost whale species. And they spend fucking an hour and a half in the middle of the movie talking about like the backstory of the whales. And like once you see the whales start to show up and you're watching Avatar Way of Water, feel free to, to feel free to grab a snack, use the bathroom, like because I was ready to fucking walk out. Did Pandora have that much water in the first film? In the first film, we spend it mostly in jungle. Uh, this in this movie, yeah, this area, yep. In this movie, they do go to the water tribes. There's a bunch of water on the planet. Yes. Do they explain why they're doing that, or is it just like a? Oh. Yes, 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 yes. That's all the. St- I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to get into like the all the plot details because are the whales like see when you see uh, it? But. Do they do they speak? Kind of. Not like they don't like they don't like speak uh, English or anything, but like they communicate. They communicate. I'll say that. It depends on it depends on whether or not you're listening. Oh, can you hear? Are you hearing them or are you just listening? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, again, technical achievement, stunning, big theater. Worth a shot. Just take a break halfway through. On our last segment of Netflix and Bill, uh, what are you watching? What are you going to be watching? What are you looking forward to? Uh, a couple movies that I watched that instead of doing a full-on should I go see it review here, I'll just touch on them briefly, but they are movies that I finished and they're all on streaming services. I did watch on Netflix for Netflix and Bill, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which I gave a no. Oh wow! You were sending us screenshots, and it, it looked like some sort of some fever dream, middle century propaganda for like. So, so while I was watching Pinocchio, I was sending the boys screenshots 
from random moments. It was like Pinocchio out of context, which could be its own like Twitter account because this Del Toro Pinocchio movie is so bizarre and it is just like a, such a fever dream of a movie. The technical craftsmanship of the movie is unparalleled. Like it's, it's, it's above reproach. But it's just another take on Pinocchio, and interesting though it may be, it's still another take on Pinocchio, and so I didn't didn't care for it. Well, here's some highlights: Pinocchio with a rifle joining the young Mussolini squad. Pinocchio tied up like Jesus Christ, ready to be <laughs> crucified. Yeah, uh, and my and set on fire by some goblin-looking man. And the, my favorite one is the tight shot of what looks like an assassination against a, a cement wall. Yeah, yeah. So the movie <laughs> takes place in Italy just prior to or during World War II. And instead of going to like the island of boys or whatever, a time when Italy was famously flooded with PCP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead of Pinocchio going off to with the with the boys and turning into donkeys from drinking the liquor or whatever the hell happened in that first one. Do you know what I'm talking about? I see you're saying you do you remember that? No, he turns into a donkey. You don't remember the animated Disney Pinocchio? Nope. Just remember the whale and the Italian stereotypes. Oh, well, before he gets to the whale in the Disney version, he goes to like a carnival with and runs away from his family to hang out with kids and they drink alcohol and that turns him into a donkey. I don't know. It's a okay. thing. All right. This movie, he goes off to, to fight the allies and he gets recruited into like the Mussolini youth. And but there's also a carnival aspect. The goblin you referred to is voiced by Christoph Waltz. This I mean it's a it's a hell of a cast. It's just a very weird bizarre movie. So I didn't I didn't really care for it. Unbelievable. I also watched I also watched Nanny, which is a 90 minute horror movie on Amazon Prime. Horror is a stretch. It's more of like a thriller. And I gave this a yes. This was very, very good. It has a virtuoso lead performance, and the woman that plays the lead, I've never seen her before, so it didn't even feel like a performance. It felt like I was just watching real stuff happening. Like It was unbelievable. It's about a nanny from Senegal who works with a wealthy white family, saving some money to bring her son over from from Senegal, and then she starts to have some nightmares, hallucinations, and it kind of amps up from there. And it's listed as a horror movie. It's not super horror. It's more of like atmospheric and moody. But thematically, it's very much about the immigrant experience. And it's sort of like a raw look at the toll that can take on someone. And so in that way, it's very naturalistic, the movie. So it really sucks you in. And it is, it is terrifying in that regard, as well as in the text of the film. So highly, highly recommend Nanny on Amazon Prime. Uh, and the last thing is a TV show, Rick and Morty Season 6 Part 2 has been airing the last couple weeks. Uh, I think it just ended, and so I watched that, and most of those episodes were pretty strong. So Rick and Morty, still going, still going good. Did you buy, the, did you buy the, the, that new video game from the co-creator of Rick and Morty? I did not. I've seen some clips of it. I watched a little on Twitch. He's basically doing the Morty voice the entire time, and I'm kind of like... Over it. Yeah. Yeah. His voices okay. all start to, like his characters all kind of blend after a while. Like Rick and Morty are very defined, and then everything else is just a variation of them. So when you're not watching the proper Rick and Morty that you know, it to me it just kind of grates on me after a while. Yeah. And then two movies we talked about. One of them we're seeing soon. So the three three of us are going to go see Babylon uh, next week, which we're super excited for. And then uh, you got tickets to watch Brendan Fraser and the Whale, right? Yep, I'm seeing that next week. Very excited. A lot of positive reviews. He's nominated for Best Actor, all that stuff. So I'm very excited to see The Whale. Is it a good bet, if I'm a betting man, a good bet to get him as an early an early dark horse for um, 
Academy Award for Best Actor? I haven't seen it yet, but based on the hype, for sure. He's definitely like the front runner, the name that keeps coming up. Popping Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Phil, Craig, uh, Merry Christmas, boys. Uh, it's been an amazing episode. What a, what a time. Can't wait to ask the audience who's right, because it's going to be me. Take us away, Bill. Thank you for listening to the Should I Go See a Podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram, where the poll will be at Should I Go See It.